I define rest as restorative activities. So what are the restorative activities you do that pour back into your current place of deficit, of energy deficit specifically? Because I think that's part of the problem. A lot of us, our definition of rest is simply cessation activities. So we think of rest as stopping, but I oftentimes kind of use a bit of a medical um, metaphor for that. You know, if someone came into my emergency room and they're bleeding and I tell the nurse, suture them up, I stopped the bleeding, but did I restore them? You know, if they've been bleeding for hours, I wouldn't know that unless I asked, right? But if they've been bleeding for hours, I don't just need to stop the bleeding. I actually need to put blood back into them and restore the deficit. A lot of us, we Netflix and chill on the weekend, so we have stopped the bleeding. But did we pour back into the place of deficit? Did we pour back into that place of social rest deficit where we have been giving to people all week long within our jobs or in customer service or in our companies? Did we actually pour back into that deficit or are we just going to show up on Monday still depleted, but we've watched a lot of great shows on Netflix during that time? You know, so that's the thing. We have to really evaluate what needs pouring back into. Where is the place that actually needs refilling? Because just stopping is not going to fill most of these areas back up. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, a show from the humans at OnSite. If you're new to this space and just beginning this journey, we hope these episodes are an encouragement, a resource, and an introduction to a new way of being. And if you're well into your journey and perhaps even made a pit stop at OnSite's Living Centered program or one of our other experiences, we hope these episodes are a nudge back towards the depth, connection, and authenticity you found. In this season, we sat down with a dozen of our favorite experts and emotional health sojourners to dig into the topics that are top of mind for all of us. Transition, relationships, trauma, just to name a few. Part practical resource and part honest storytelling that will have you silently nodding along, me too. This podcast was curated with you in mind. So with that, let's dive in. Hey friends, I'm so excited to introduce you today to Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. She is a board-certified internal medicine physician, speaker, and award-winning author. And I discovered her because I was looking at how to get better rest. And I think we've probably seen these on Instagram where people talk about the seven different areas of rest. I wanted to learn more about that. And so I sought her out, watched her TED Talk, read parts of her book, And I am just fascinated by the concepts that she's going to present in this interview. Hannah and I got to sit down with her and learn all about rest and how to really take care of ourselves holistically. She leaves us with the line at the end that you're only as healthy as you are well-rested. And it hit me Mm -hmm. um, in such a deep place. And so I know it's going to be practical and inspirational and just an invitation to look at yourself and give yourself the permission to truly rest and rejuvenate. Yeah, I love this interview um, because right from the get-go, she really helped us understand the difference between sleep and rest. And I think that's something we often uh, confuse. And for me, it was such a good um, kind of check with myself about saying, where am I getting rest? Where am I not? Where do Mm -hmm. I prioritize it? Which ones are trickier for me? And I think conceptually, we know that rest is more than just sleep and beach vacations and things like that. But practically, we often put it to the side because we say like, oh, that'd be nice. But this conversation really helped me understand it's not just a nice to have, it's something we actually need in order to live healthy, more optimized lives. So this conversation was super practical and I can't wait for us all to dive in. Yeah. And something that I noticed is that it really fit well in this series where every area of rest that she talks about, we have a podcast in the series about this. So I just thought that that was really cool and encouraging. Yeah. And for those of us who think like, oh, rest, 
that doesn't super apply to my life. I just would encourage you to listen and um, see how you can apply this in different areas. For me, what I kept hearing is about my mental health as well and how much those are tied. But really how every single thing we talked about, it's like, how do I incorporate that into my mental health? How do I prioritize this in my mental health? Because as we know and talk about often and on, our mental health isn't just in a silo. It's not something that we just spend time on in therapy and things like that. It is really holistic. And so how do we incorporate physical, spiritual, mental, community, all of that um, into being a fuller, better version of ourselves? Well, Dr. Sandra, I am so excited to be chatting with you today. As I mentioned before we got on the call and I kind of fangirled over you, this entire concept of the seven types of rest have really been transformational for me in my own journey. But something that uh, we talk a lot about at Onsite is moving people from being a human doing to a human being. So before we jump in on your specialty, I would love to hear just who is Dr. Sandra? Well, my professional background is I'm a clinical internal medicine physician for the past 20 years. About five years into that, I burned out and wanted to figure out how not to be burned out. And so that took me into research in the work-life integration field. Mm -hmm. And so spent quite a bit of time there and from there started writing some books on the things that I was learning, um, one of which was Sacred Rest. And that's the one where I talk about the seven types of rest and, and what we do with them and all of that's kind of led, led over, I should say, into a workplace well-being consulting agency where I spend most of my time now. Awesome. And um, when you are not working, what does kind of your life look like? I'm a mom of two sons. Yeah, my oldest is a sophomore in college and my youngest is in his senior year of high school, married for 23 years coming up wow. this weekend. Congrats. And, um Yeah, some of the things I enjoy doing is just hanging out with my little dog, Rosie, who might be barking in a few moments here. We'll see. (laughs) Great. Come on in. Be a part of the interview. You mentioned (laughs) that your own journey kind of led you into this. What did that burnout season look like for you? Well, my kids were young. So I I was in the middle of um, practicing full time, which in internal medicine, which is hospital and office based, tends to mean 60 plus hours a week. And so I had my children in the middle of that. And so I just got to a place where it it was really difficult to be able to be present at home mm-hmm. because I was so exhausted. So I would I would say, oh great, I'm home now. I'm with my family, and it's, you know, it's the weekends or the evenings. But I would be there half asleep. I'd be there mm. completely exhausted. I couldn't really enjoy any of the life that I was trying to build or create. And everything hurt. My body hurt. My emotions were hurt. My spiritually, I felt hurt. I mean, no part of me felt whole or satisfied. That's what burnt out looked like for me. Hmm. Hmm. That's such a good definition. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on even that. I think a lot of times people just think of burnt out as just tired or overwhelmed. And I'm glad you even talked about, I know we'll dive into that because, you know, it doesn't just stem from being tired or overwhelmed. Um, but they touched that like other parts of my life were hurting. I'm sure relationally there was hurt, this your spiritual life. Um, so what kind of made you realize you had to change that? And what did that beginning of that change look like for you? Yeah. So in the very beginning for me, it was, I approached it like a doctor. I thought, okay, something's wrong with me medically. So I I started checking all the tests and doing all the medical stuff. And, you know, when you work in the field, it's really easy to check all the things. So I checked my thyroid, my adrenals. I I checked my sleep latency. I checked all this stuff well before these things were easy for people to check. And everything was normal. You know, (laughs) there was absolutely nothing physically wrong with me. 
And then at that point, I thought, well, maybe I just need more sleep because that's the logical thing you do when you're tired. Well, I made a point of getting eight, even up to nine hours of sleep a night. And I'd go to bed and I'd get these hours and I even did a sleep lab and was like documented deep sleep. She got all the all the stuff and I'd still wake up exhausted. And that's a really desperate feeling when you've yeah. done everything that clinically you know to do. And it's like, what is wrong with me? I'm, it's not in my head. I had many patients come to me and say, every doctor's telling me it's in my head, but I know something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And then when I was the one sitting in that situation, you know, I, I have enough of a research background. I majored in biochemistry. I've been doing research all of my life. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like I started doing research at 16 in high school at working in a college lab. So I'm, I'm well familiar with research. I took that part of me and just said, you know what, there's something there that's missing. And I, as tired as I am, this, I need to figure out what the issue is, or I'm not going to survive this. And so that's what took me into the research of trying to figure out what else can be exhausted if it's, if sleep is not solving it. Hmm. As a researcher, was there much research around this topic at the time? Or were you kind of going into unknown territory? There, there wasn't a whole lot. There was a lot of information about physical exhaustion. There was yeah. plenty I could find about that. And all of it stemmed back to sleep. Um, Ariana Huffington had just kind of released this information about sleep revolution. Mm. Everybody was talking about sleep. And so I think that's also added to where I started there. But when I started looking at what else could be exhausted, for me, I had to start looking at my day. I actually kind of like laid out what do I do all day? And then I start, and I'm like, okay, I see patients. I, you know, it's like, okay, now what? And it's like, what energy am I using for the mm. activities that I'm doing? That when I started making that connection, where am I spending energy, and what type of energy is it that I'm spending? That's when I really started to get more depth to it. And there wasn't a lot of research on personal energy management at that time. Nobody was talking about the using creative energy or creative rest deficits. Nobody was talking about rest deficits, period. That was a term that I came up with. You know, nobody was talking about the social energy that we use. You know, we were talking about emotions, but oftentimes when we talked about emotional exhaustion, we kind of lumped both parts of the brain together, the mental and the emotional, as if they're the same thing. And they're not. You know, there's the the concentrating rationale part of our brain, the mental aspect of the energy, and then we have the emotional aspect. And so when I started pulling these things kind of into the the molecules in the biochemistry field, right, the tiny little pieces of it, that's where the lack of research really existed. We have lumped a bunch of things together, but we hadn't broken them down into small enough bite-sized pieces so people could actually digest them into their life. Hmm. That's so good. I think one of like you start your TED talk by talking about sleep and rest are not the same thing. And I think that simple concept for me, uh, I've been in seasons of my life where I'm like, this will have to be the solution because sleep feels more attainable than doing the other things I know might actually fill me. Like it's really hard to fill my relational deficit. It's really hard to connect with the spiritual part when my life feels busy and crazy. And sleep sometimes feels either the easiest Or if I'm not getting sleep, it's really hard to kind of address the other areas. So I wonder what your research found around if I'm not getting sleep, is it kind of a chicken or an egg? Like, do I need to get the sleep to first be able to address the other areas? Or will the sleep come when I've addressed the other areas? Yeah, that's a great question. Because what I find is for most people, rest is actually the bridge to better sleep. 
there's a lot of people struggling to sleep. And a part of that reason is because they have a rest deficit in an area that actually impedes the ability to get into deeper sleep. Like if you have a mental rest deficit and you lay, you're exhausted, you know, you lay down at night to go to sleep, but your brain is processing. You're thinking all of your to-do list, you're running conversations, you're ruminating over stuff. You're going to have a really hard time getting into the deeper levels of sleep because your mind is pulling you out of it every time you try to go in. Or if your body's all tight and tense and you lay down and all of a sudden your legs are aching or you have a magnesium deficiency, let's break it down to even more, you know, physical. You actually have a deficiency in something that could be corrected. Your legs can cramp all night long and you still not get into deep sleep. So they have definitely have a relationship. Sleep is vitally important, but sleep alone won't fix us and rest alone won't fix us. We have to have both that are working together. Yeah. We see at onsite all the time that I think so many people struggle with sleep or struggle with sleep being a part of rest. Um, people that either are on the insomnia side of things or like I am sleeping nine hours. Why aren't I feeling rested? And so often the story we hear at our programs is that it's the best night of sleep I've ever gotten because, and it's not like our beds are that magical. I mean, they're soft and they're lovely, um, but if they, we find that the people are getting other types of rest. They're getting emotional rest. They're getting community rest. They're getting all these different things that are allowing them and opening up access to actually being able to sleep. And we've had people like, they're like, I don't want to leave because I'm sleeping better than I have in 30 years. And I love that you're talking about kind of the need for the difference that sleep and rest can be different and that both are vital. Um, We at Milestones, our residential trauma center, oftentimes people haven't slept. We've seen people that haven't slept in, a month or whatever, and and they can't heal what else is going on until we can get them stable, until we can get them sleeping, because that is an important part of the process, but it's not the only part of the process. So how are we getting them to sleep? It's not just forcing them in a room and making sure they go to bed and close their eyes. It's like we have to look at all of the different pieces that can enable that healthy sleep. Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I wanted to quickly interrupt this interview to share a short story with you. A few years ago, I was listening to an on-site alum share their story, and something clicked inside of me. I realized that while nothing was wrong in my life, I actually began to wonder if there was more I was missing. What if the overwhelming feeling of anxiety and stress that I had just accepted as my normal didn't have to be a part of my life? What if my relationships didn't drain me and I could actually set the boundaries to create the type of relationships I wanted to exist in? What if I could interrupt the narratives that I had just accepted as fact? Shortly after, I attended Onsite's Living Center program, and I started on my own journey of more. More peace, more clarity, more fun, more wholeness. I want to invite you to explore that more. There's nothing wrong with you. But what if there's more? If you've been considering an on-site program for a while, or if this is the very first time, I invite you to dare to consider the possibility that the more you're seeking is actually something we all deserve. You can explore our offerings at experienceonsite.com or connect with one of our incredible admissions team members at 1-800-341-7432. They'd love to have a confidential call with you and connect you to the right resource for you. As 
As we dug deeper into the difference between rest and sleep, I wondered if Dr. Sandra could give us a basic definition of rest that could help us conceptualize and ground this conversation. Here's what she had to say. I define rest as restorative activities. So what are the restorative activities you do that pour back into your current place of deficit, of energy deficit specifically? And so when you're, when I think about rest, because I think that's part of the problem, a lot of us, our definition of rest is simply cessation activities. So we think of rest as stopping, but I oftentimes kind of use a bit of a medical um, metaphor for that. You know, if someone came into my emergency room and they're bleeding and I tell the nurse, suture them up, I stopped the bleeding, but did I restore them? You know, if they've been bleeding for hours, I wouldn't know that unless I asked, right? But if they've been bleeding for hours, I don't just need to stop the bleeding. I actually need to put blood back into them and restore Mm. the deficit. A lot of us, we Netflix and chill on the weekend. So we have stopped the bleeding. But did we pour back into the place of deficit? Did we pour back into that place of social rest deficit where we have been giving to people all week long within our jobs or in customer service or in our companies? Did we actually pour back into that deficit? Or are we just going to show up on Monday still still depleted, but we've watched a lot of great you know, shows on Netflix during that time? You know, so that's the thing. We have to really evaluate what needs pouring back into where is the place that actually needs refilling? Because just stopping is not going to fill most of these areas back up. Oh, that's such a good definition. We've alluded to um, places of deficit and places to fill up. Uh, can you um, tell our listeners um, what those places are? I know you define it as seven types of rest. Can you give us a little intro to that? Yeah, so the seven types of rest include physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. And how do people begin, I'm asking for myself too, um, how do we begin to recognize these areas and where we have deficit more? Um, I think sometimes some, for me, feel more blaring, like, oh, this one really needs this. And some I totally forget to attend to. Um, Or I think, oh, that one's not as important, or that would be a nice to have, but I don't need it. Um, How do we begin to kind of notice and attuned to these different areas of rest? Yeah, so that, that was the number one question when we started <laughs> we right. started sharing this information, right? So we actually created a, a free assessment at restquiz.com as a simplified way for people to be able to take the assessment, find out which of the seven types of rest they're most deficient in. They actually get a score in each of the seven so they can see kind of the levels. Um, but if even if you don't have uh, access to that, or if you're in another country, because we it's Google will translate it, but, you know, translations <laughs> can be tricky. So yeah. even if that's the case, what I always say is take take an evaluation just like I did before any of that stuff existed and just look at how you're spending the inner, your day. What, first off, what are the activities you're doing in your day? And then thinking about those seven types of, of energy that I mentioned, seven types of rest, thinking about those seven Look at what am I using energy in those areas in the things that I'm doing? And if you are, are you doing something to pour that to kind of replace that energy? If you have a place where you're expending energy regularly, but you don't have a system in place to restore it, then chances are you have a deficit in that area because you don't have any, you have not kind of worked through the process of how am I going to keep that area at a high level of capacity? And so that's probably the simplified way of doing it, um, you know, if you don't have access to restquiz.com or ability to take that. 
What I wonder is, are all of those different areas of rest kind of created equally? Like, do we need to prioritize if we've kind of have to triage, thinking from another medical term, do I need to prioritize one over the other or do I need to take a more holistic approach of, hey, these all need my attention? Absolutely. Don't hit them all at the same time. That's um, that's a setup to fail is what I found. What I, what I usually recommend for people to do is to identify the one of greatest deficit. Because if you start working on that one that you have the greatest level of deficit in, um, let's say you take the quiz and you find that you have a, a high score in emotional, then put your attention in the restorative action activities that will restore that bucket first. Because once that most empty bucket starts getting filled back up, you automatically start feeling better. And then you feel as if you have more energy and capacity to then look at what are the other places that I can start putting things into place with. A lot of times it's a matter of what are some habitual activities I already do that I can tie on a restorative process to it so that you can actually make it so you're not always thinking necessarily about, oh, how am I going to get rest today? You, you have some things that you start doing just naturally or that you can incorporate into your day without having to, to plan ahead to be able to make sure that you're staying in places of rest. You're kind of continuously pouring back into that bucket. You're not having to carve out time. You know, when you're having to always carve out time for rest, that's when you're likely to not get it. However, let's say if we're looking at creative rest and you're someone who gets restored around bodies of water, when you can't hop in the, you know, hop in your yacht most of the time and go, you know, go hit the water, most of us. So what, what can you do at that point? You can't take a vacation every time you get exhausted. Well, yeah, a lot of the research shows that even having nautical scenes in your home, you know, bring a paint a wall that color blue that's most inspirational to you. Have an accent wall that's a nautical theme. Put a, put a picture up in your office that's inspirational to you. Um, change your lock screen to water scenes. There are things you can do where you don't even have to keep thinking about it. It just pops up. So when it pops up Bora Bora on my screen, which is <laughs> what I have one of my scenes doing, automatically I get the same sense of relaxation I would if I purposely had to go look for it. I'm less likely to actually do that. But if I automate some of these things, I get the benefit without having to always think about it. Hannah and I were both fascinated by the idea of being proactive with our rest and in an effort to regain reagency, take care of ourselves. We asked Dr. Sandra to expound on the steps that we can take to further identify our needs and then the actions that would help us address the different rest deficits that we face. Each of the seven has simple ways of of doing it. That was actually something I made a point of discussing quite a bit in the book, Sacred Rest, is that I, I come up with what's called the rest framework. So R is recognizing, you know, whether or not you even have it. E is evaluating your current situation, is taking a look at your life. S is the science and the research, so you have an understanding of it. And then T is today's application, so that you actually put into practice the, the, the things that you're learning. And so just for example, if you're someone who's working in a location that has a lot of background noise, um, maybe there's elevators or people talking in the background at your office space, having uh, 20 minutes where you just pop on noise cancellation earphones just to get some a moment of sensory reprieve so that you're not building up to sensory overload syndrome and a sensory rest deficit, turning off the car, turning off the, the radio in your car on the drive home so that you don't take the toxicity from your 
you know, heightened sensory environment at work into your house because you're getting irritated and agitated by all the noise. Changing the screen height of your computer so that ergonomically is not causing pain and discomfort and stress in your neck. I mean, there's so many, uh, this is primarily what we do with our company Restores is the work-life well-being agency that we work with corporations is what are practical things that your employees can be doing that don't require you to pay any more money that you can do in the moment. Yes, you want people to take PTO, but PTO should be for fun. It should not be for restoration. You should not be, I don't want to say wasting your time, but (laughs) you should not be wasting your free time that should be fun time trying to heal. Healing should be a continuous process. And so teaching people how do we kind of put our bodies and and all of ourselves into position, body, mind, and spirit, into position for continuous healing. That's what rest is. And so there's so many, so many different ways of doing that in each area. I love that. I feel like you're touching on that, like rest is something we all deserve. It's not like something we have to earn. I think so many of us wait until we're totally burnt out or totally exhausted or to a point of breakage where we're like, now I can rest. Um, where you're saying like, hey, no, you can rest now and you should and you'll actually be a better friend, parent, employee, whatever, and you'll have a richer life because it's something that you deserve to integrate today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my son, um, when, I, when I was kind of processing through all of this, and this was years, my kids were toddlers when this process started, they were way older by the time I actually kind of finished all the putting all of this together and the, the framework and everything. And my, one of my sons was doing a science project and he was studying bees. And I thought, and I'm a, I'm a nerd. I love biology of all forms. So I was all into his science project, right? It was probably mommy's science project more than his. But we were <laughs> sitting down and we're, we're researching these bees. And one thing just really kind of jumped off in my, in my mind as we were researching it. You know, the bee is always seen as the worker, kind of the worker animal, right? <laughs> Busy as a bee. And the thing that came to mind is this is a, a creature that's constantly producing sweetness and goodness for the world, but never stops long enough to actually taste that same goodness and sweetness for themselves. And that's how a lot of us are living our lives. We're producing all of this stuff for the world. People are, you see it with stars who commit suicide and it's like, what happened that they got to that place of just depletion? And you're like, and they're, they're doing so much great stuff in the world. Whenever I see that, I think honeybee producing so much beauty, so much goodness, so much sweetness for everybody else. But there was never time where they stopped and, and appreciated the goodness and sweetness for themselves in their own lives. And I felt like that's what my life looked like. Patients adored me. Yeah. And I was hating every minute of my life yeah. because I could not enjoy it for myself. And so that's kind of my motivation for the work that I do is the reason I, the reason I do interviews. It's the reason I do all the work that I do. I, I, I see so many people who are producing so much goodness, but they, they deserve to enjoy that goodness themselves as well. I have a question about how we got here culturally. Um, I feel like the tale you're telling, I have a lot of empathy for because I feel like so many people, I've been there, even though our stories look entirely different. I've never worked at a hospital. I've never had these, these, these circumstances that brought you to that place, but I've had my own experiences of that. And I feel like most people I know have. And so how did we get here culturally? What... I don't know if there's if you have any thoughts or research on the systemic problem of this and how we begin to address that, or is it just an individual problem and then it impacts out? Like, how, can you help us understand and unpack like why this is so normal for so many people? Yeah, I think it's it's multifaceted. I believe 
there's a cultural external aspect of it out and for a lot of people there's an internal aspect to it so I'll, I'll hit both quickly the the culture is built around productivity. I mean, that's just how our culture is put together. So it's built around productivity. And because of that, there's this drive to produce at all costs. We see it in companies, we see it in our own lives. And I think because of that, we see work as the greater of the two. We Rest is like the, the lesser thing. It's like if you get time or if you can, if you can fit it in somewhere, then rest. And we don't see rest as actually part of the fuel for the productivity. Because if we did, we would act differently. Right. You know, right now it's like, well, produce, but it's produced out of what? As, I mean, what, you eventually have to have some resources with which to produce something that you want that's worthwhile. And so I think that's part of the mindset shift is understanding that rest actually helps you to be more productive. It actually helps you to be more creative, more energized, more mentally acute. And so when we when we take that away, we have a lot of people who are producing, but they're producing actually out of their emptiness. So what they're producing is not actually the best of what's up available or even possible. So that's part of it. And then this, that, so that's kind of the external cultural aspect of it is this world of productivity and work is the greater of the two. And then we have people who just internally don't feel like they deserve certain things. Their own self-worth is, is not at a good place. And so when you don't feel you deserve better, you get okay with just feeling like crap all the time. <laughs> and so it's like, well, this is just what people feel like. Everybody's tired. Well, no, everybody shouldn't be tired. Everybody is tired. Be the difference. <laughs> be the person who wakes up energized, ready to go first thing in the morning with a smile on their face. You know, sh- we have to be able to take ourselves out of that, that mindset of, well, this is just how everybody is, so it must be okay, because that just kind of keeps the situation going. And then when you add on that, some, some of us have, like I said, the issues with self-work. Some of us feel like if we're not working, we're not worthy. And so work has this other kind of emotional attachment to it that's unhealthy, uh, a bit of an unhealthy attachment to work where identity gets wrapped up in the thing we do and not necessarily in just being who we are. And you know, the whole people pleasing and all of that gets wrapped up into it. So it's the culture, but for some of us, it's also some personal work we need to do to just get comfortable in being ourselves. Yeah. Totally. Oh, I just feel like you're like talking to the choir over here. Hannah and I both really relate to that concept of even when you said, if I'm not working, I'm not worthy. That kind of like hit me in a place where I think even from some of the narratives or imprints that I have from childhood, like rest is earned. We work really hard. I think there's like this, there's literally a discomfort that happens in my body when I like see my partner not moving and like taking a moment for himself or resting. I think it's something we've had to kind of tackle in our own marriage of, hey, it's okay that I rest. Or um, I think sometimes I feel even like resentment around like when you're resting. Um, And I remember reading a Brene Brown quote where she kind of identified resentment more in the camp of envy, where I wish that I could give myself the permission that you're giving yourself. And it's more of an internal thing on ourselves and not the other person. And it's just, it's kind of changed how I lens that. So how do you help people in some of this work kind of overcome some of those narratives they might hold around rest um, and do 
the internal work that needs to then translate into the external things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's why a, a big part of what I love doing are, are retreats. I love it when we are able to get people away for three to five days. Um, we do this usually once once a year within from our myself, our group we do. And then we go into a lot of companies and do like two and three day retreats or even one day retreats. And a big part of that is the mindset aspect of it. And so obviously we're teaching them the practicality of how do you put this into place? We always like to have them build out kind of a, a life plan on looking at these different areas, what needs improvement, having some specifics that they're going to take away and do those, you know, coming out of the retreat. But before we ever get into the building out of their own rest strategy, we always have to start with their rest ethic. Because if their work ethic and their rest ethic have no, 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 harmony, I hate the word balance, so no harmony between the two, then we're not going to get anywhere. I can talk all day. They're going to fill out their little sheet and go on their way and, you know, retreat over. But we have to actually change their concept of, of what rest even can mean. So that's a big part of the, start, of the starting process. The mindset shift around work and rest and helping them see how work is actually improved when you rest well. It's good. I feel like this whole conversation has been so applicable to what we do at OnSite. And I feel like I could have subbed mental health or emotional health like in for any of these things too. It's like, it is something that we deserve. It's something we have to change our mindset around. It's something we have to understand our ethics around it. And it just goes so hand in hand. Like you can't have healthy emotional health if you're not resting. Rest is a part of this. And you can't have healthy emotional health if you don't have um, some aspect of healthy physical health. Like there's all these attributes that go together so I love it I feel like it's so applicable for our what we um what we get behind and what we're trying to promote and trying to um encourage in our own workshops and intensives and things like that um I'm wondering if you could speak to you a little bit and this might go around some of the ethics and Mackenzie touched on this a little bit but as we were prepping for this conversation I like outed myself to Mackenzie as like yeah, I get judgmental or resentful around other people's rest. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you could help encourage. I know this is probably mostly like an internal work thing, but how do we cheer on other people's rest? Because so often I'll see that and I'm like, well, that would be nice. Or, well, they don't have two kids or they don't have, or my job is whatever. And we just get so comparison minded. And instead of saying like, I'm so grateful that you're getting to connect in that way. I'm so happy that you're filling up in that. How do I incorporate some of that in my life? Or do you have any tips around how we can go from a, like, oh, I'm a victim to like, how do I cheer on other people and hopefully then be inspired by that? Yeah, I love that question. But um, I, I guess my way of approaching that when I see someone doing something and I'm like, wow, that would be nice. I always take I, I my, my way of framing that is, OK, I see the ideal because that's often why I'm jealous of it, because I'm like, that would be ideal. How do I get a small taste of it? It's like, it's like, I'm not going to be so jealous if I at least feel like I can, I can get a taste of that. So I might not be able to have the personal chef that's living in my house like XYZ, right, <laughs> to make sure that all my meals are perfectly nutritionally sound. But maybe I can do like the home chef thing one night out of the month. Yeah. Just as a reminder to myself that I deserve that too. Mm-hmm. You know, so then I can cheer her on because cheering her on gives me, is giving me the ability to say, you are doing what I aspire to get to. I'm not there yet, but keep doing it because I keep wanting to be inspired. 
And if I keep seeing you doing it, then that keeps me hungry enough to know and, and knowing it's possible, somebody's doing it. <laughs> so it's not, unpo- you know, it's not impossible. Somebody's doing it. And I can say just hungry enough to kind of keep that in the back of my mind. How can I get a taste of that? So I don't have the private jet, but I can fly first class, you know, and, and have the experience of somebody waiting on me or, or I don't have the, the, the beach home or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that you're looking at someone and saying, but I can rent an Airbnb for a night on the beach. And you know what I mean? How can I get a small taste of that? Because then you cheer them on because they're inspiring you to continue to taste some of the things in life that you really want. How can I be an active participant in this? And I think it even just like, okay, this feeling's coming up and re kind of reversing it and having saying, what is that awakening in me? What is the need that's that's feeling like, hey, over here, pay attention to me. I think it's just such a kind, really great practice. So thank you for sharing that with us. And for myself, it takes me out of I will never get. Oh, that's Because I feel like that's the part that blocks most of us. We see someone else doing it and we say, I will never yeah. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Let's not box ourselves into what we won't ever get. But but let's kind of keep ourselves framing. I, I'm not at that level yet, but what piece of that can I experience right now? Yeah. I think two things came up for me as you were talking about that is like one, obviously, when I see a friend that uh, yeah, has a private chef or just went on X, this giant trip or whatever. I think, oh, it must be nice. I want that too. How do I get pieces of that? But then I also, it's just a good reminder of like, I have no idea if they feel rested. I have no idea if they are filling up in their other ways. I don't know what other deficits they're facing. And so like, just because somebody or something that we're seeing is um, looking like something else that we'd want doesn't mean, and like, we don't, we can, we can celebrate the ways that they are resting, but also come around and support like, oh, what other ways could you get filled up? And mm-hmm. how do we look at the more holistic person? And the second thing that came up for me is like, do I actually need that? Like, not need it, but like, is that a deficit of mine? No, I actually really like cooking. Like, I don't want to prep it up. Like, sure, that looks nice because it looks luxurious. But like, oh, that's actually a way that really fills me up is when I do get to access that creatively. And so I love the idea of like recognizing your deficits, because I think so often we just get comparison um, oriented around like what other people have, or I think like, is that actually what would fill me? Like, do I need that vacation? No, I think I just need a night in with my family or whatever it is. And so just being able to check ourselves and like recognize what we actually need versus what we think we should want or what we should need to fill these certain holes in our lives. So if you're like me, as you continue to explore the concept of different rest deficits, you might be struck about how some of these different areas feel more obvious, actionable, or even attainable than other ones. For example, in my own life, if you were to ask me, I could tell you that I'm in a season of sensory rest deficit. And while I might know how to meet that need, it doesn't actually feel attainable with two toddlers in my house. Now, getting creative rest feels a bit more ambiguous. And honestly, I'm not sure I could articulate a creative rest deficit if someone asked me. I wondered if Dr. Sandra found patterns emerging in her research around both our awareness of our deficits and also the ones that feel the hardest to meet. With the quiz, there's, there was a consistent high levels of mental rest deficits. That one has been consistent from 
when the quiz launched back in 2017 for the first time. So that has been consistently high for years. Um, Then with COVID, we had kind of this shift where sensory rest deficits skyrocketed. Uh, And I mean, they came from way back down to way high, (laughs) which made sense. We started hearing terms like Zoom fatigue and all of these sensory overload type disorders. And so that made sense because we all switched over to that. Right now, we're, we're kind of back to where mental rest is always on the, on the high end of it. But some of the ones that we get a lot of just emails and comments about primarily is social rest. Because with social rest, when people hear that, they automatically thought I was talking about just getting away from people. And actually, that is not what I'm talking about. Social rest is the rest we experience around life-giving people. So it requires us to evaluate the relationships in our lives and determine which ones are pulling from our social energy and which ones are pouring back into us socially. Because the majority of the people that we spend time with are people who need things from us. They, you know, your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, your clients, they're all pulling from your social energy. They need things from you. Then it requires you to evaluate who are the people in my life who don't need anything from me? You know, do I have adult friends who I just like being around? Or even, you know, with your kids and your spouse, is the relationship such that you have times that you're giving and there are also specific times that you're receiving? Because, you know, particularly as a mom, depending on the age of your kids, you're, you know, if your kids are five, I can pretty much guarantee you're giving 98.9% of the time and you may get a little bit of mommy love, you know, without asking for it. <laughs> You know, some of those other times, but the majority of that time you're giving. However, when your kids become adults or even older teens, they should have a responsibility to some degree of knowing how they can pour back into you socially. You know, honestly, with 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 um, all the different birthdays and holidays and all of the things that happen, what I reckon what I actually recommend for my family, I'm like, don't get me a gift. I got all the stuff I could need for a lifetime. Don't give me a gift. Write me a card where you tell me what you love about me. Why am I important to your life? Why do you like having me as your wife or your mom? Share with me your heart behind the person that I am. That is That becomes social and emotional rest in, in some ways because I am getting life-giving words from people I care about poured back into me. And I prefer it when they do it around the dinner table. So if they're, if they if they're you know, willing to use their words on the spot, I like for them to read the card or either just say it to me at the t- dinner table as we're sharing a meal together. Hmm. I love that. And asking for it's so beautiful. I love the agency that you took in asking for what you need. I think um, so often we just expect these people to, or we expect anyone in our life to know how to meet us in those areas. And so I love that idea of like, you weren't, I think some areas of rest, we think we can take ownership over a little bit more easy. Like I'm on my drive home, I can turn off the radio. Um, But we think like, oh, if it's a social or connected rest, we think it's like selfish to have to ask for it or, well, we'll just wait and see if they do fill this gap in my life. But I love that you took the agency around that. I think it's a good lesson for any of the areas of life that we have a little bit more ownership over it than we think we might. Hmm, that's so good. I'm wondering if you have anything to say around um, if people think like, well, I'm not creative. I'm not a creative. I have no idea how to get creative rest or I don't have um, a faith system. And so I wouldn't know how to get spiritual rest. Like, I guess I just don't need those ones. Like, what do you say to people that maybe feel like they can't access or don't have access or don't need access to those types of different rests? 
or other ones? Those are ones that come to mind for me. That's a great question, Han. Yeah. So creative rest, well, creative energy. I always say you have to take it out of the box of just the artists and the musicians and the writers because we're all using creative energy. It takes creative energy for you to determine how to get your your child to soccer and the other child to, to piano and, you know, you got 10 minutes to go 50 miles. It takes creative energy to figure out what you're going to cook right. for dinner tonight. Right. You know, so we're all using creative energy regardless. It, it takes creative energy to be a physician, to figure out a diagnosis. <laughs> you know, there's so many ways we use creative energy. And so we have to take creative energy out of the creative type box that we've placed it in and realize we're all using creative energy, which means we can all have a creative rest deficit. And creative rest is not actually like painting or playing music or doing any of those things. That's actually creative work. You're putting a demand on your creative energy. Creative rest is appreciating things that have already been created. So it's appreciating natural beauty like the ocean, the mountains, the trees, or creating man-made beauty like art and music and dance and theater. So it's actually stopping and enjoying what's already been created. And in, in doing that, it inspires you. It increases your creative capacity. It helps you to be more innovative because you become inspired in the moment. So anyone who has a job that requires innovation which is everybody in the tech field and, and most careers. If you're a teacher, you're needing to be innovative. If you're needing to have creative energy. So a lot of us are using creative energy and become can become deficit in that area. This is one of the ones where I find the most people who tend to write me back and said, you know, I thought this was a bunch of fluff. I sleep well, but I'm just tired all the time. And, da, da, da. and they're like, and the, it came back that I was creative rest deficit. That made no sense to me. And then I, you know, read the book and I started doing this stuff and I can't believe the difference it's made. Simply because it wasn't something they were even aware to fix. Yeah. <laughs> because we think listening to music or going to the theater or going to an art museum, oh, that's fluffy stuff you do when you have free time. Not as that's something I do to stay innovative and at the top of my game. Complete mindset shift on something that's very simple. Um, and then with spiritual rest, spiritual rest, I'm a person of, of, with a strong faith-based background, but for someone who, but I work with a lot of people and organizations who don't want any of that involved with it. And so spiritual rest at its very core is the need we all have to feel that we belong, that we are accepted, that our life has meaning and purpose. And so all of us need that. And so whether you're getting that from a faith-based concept or if you're getting that from connection and community in other ways, you know, when we work with leaders, I don't come in talking with a, a Fortune 500 CEO about my faith background when I'm talking about spiritual rest. What we talk about is how do we have empathy within the workplace? How do we help people recognize that they are valued and that they're appreciated and that they that their their opinions matter to the to the the advancement of this company? How do we get them involved in such a way that they have advocacy for your organization? They're not just employees, but they become actually your internal advocates for the, uh, for the company. So we, we have to take spiritual rest even outside of the box that we put it in and look at it as how do we get people to come into a deeper level of community so that they are working in unity towards a certain purpose or goal? Mm. This whole conversation is like, it's making me take a deep breath because I think it's moving 
rest from the camp in my mind of like, this is a privilege. This is something that's nice to have. Whereas it's saying, no, this is a necessity and kind of moving it over and saying that this is how we unlock our greatest potential. I can see how this could be revolutionary for organizations and for high power people to say, what would it look like for you to you know, listen to music or seek out some inspiration from other places and it feel fluffy, but then to really unlock our greatest potential and unlock the the parts of ourselves that feel neglected. I think it is just such a, a beautiful concept. So I am grateful in this conversation because it's really um, doing some shifts within myself and I am familiar with your work and have read parts of your book and, you know, that kind of stuff. I think it's so fascinating. I'd love to just hear as we round out, what are some of um, the practices for you that help replenish the deficits for you in all the in the different areas? Yeah, so for myself, so I'll go through each one. So physically, one of the things that I have to focus on is body ergonomics. And so I do a lot of work that's computer-based. So I have a standing desk. I like to be able to reposition my body and make sure the computer heights are all at the right level. Um, so that's a big one for th- that. For mental rest, I am the type of person who would do ruminate thoughts. So when I lay down at night, all of my thoughts come pop up and all these things and all the ideas hit right as I'm about to go to bed. So I do a brain dump. So I keep a notepad by my bed. And so I'm able to jot down that information so that rather than ruminating over it all night long, I put it on something concrete so my brain can release it and I can get into deeper levels of mental rest. For spiritual rest, as I mentioned, I'm a person of faith, so I do faith-based related things related to that, prayer and devotional time. For um, social rest, I have a small inner circle group of women who I call them my cheer squad. And so they're the people who I'm able to, for example, if I'm about to hop on a stage and I'm feeling a little, you know, in my feelings or a little nervous, they're the people I can type and just say, you know, tell me something good. Tell me something to get me to, to, you know, get my mind off of it. And they'll, they'll, cheer me on. They'll say, girl, you got this. You know, um, they're, they have been, these people have been waiting for you to show up in their world. You know, mm. those kind of things that put a smile on your face and get you out there. Um, for emotional rest, that same inner circle are the people that when I'm going through the hard times, I can say, I'm scared. I'm, I, I don't understand why this happened. I don't, uh, you know, I, this is going on in my family or whatever it is. And I also know that they're not going to judge me, that I can show up authentically and truthfully in wherever my emotions are. And they're going to meet me in that space. They're the people that when my dad died a few years ago, we sat on a Zoom. They're, one's in Canada, one's in California. I'm on the East Coast. We're miles from each other. Mm. Moments after it's happened, we sat on a Zoom and they just cried with me. Mm. You know what kind of peace that gives someone just to have friends you can just cry with? No words were needed. They were in yeah. the space with me. So sensory, I put my earphones on when I'm on an airplane. I don't want to hear all the noise at the background noise. I don't, I don't want a snack. I don't want anything. I just want quiet. And so I put noise cancellation earphones on and I have silence instead of that background hum. So when I show up wherever I'm going, I don't have that an- anxious energy from all of the background plane noise. And creative rest. I put Beach scenes everywhere I go. My phone has a beach scene. My computer has a beach scene. Places in my house have nautical themes. I love the water. And so, and I live in the middle of the U.S. So, <laughs> so I surround myself with things that remind me of that so that I stay inspired. Hmm. Those are all so practical. 
That's what I was thinking, that there's small things that can be incorporated in your everyday. And even earlier, you talked about the idea of habit, like kind of like, can you practice it with something you're already doing? So like when I get in an airplane, I know I do this and it just becomes almost even automatic of I don't have to consciously think about if I hear this background noise for three hours on my flight, I'm going to show up to wherever I'm going and needing to be present already sensory overload. Like you would, you don't even have to consciously think that you have just created the practices and the rhythms in your life. I love that. Yeah. Uh, on site, we talk a lot about this concept of the two degree shift and how so often when people are wanting to make change, they do something like a 180 and they're like, well, or they set a goal that's super unattainable. And um, so often at on site, we see in our workshop specifically, our living center program, people come and they experience something like this, like a more holistic rest. And they say like, oh, how do I get this in my life? And they usually think about it in really grand ways. And what we try to get people to do is like, how can you focus on it in really small, but really tangible ways? Because that's what's going to lead to the greatest impact. Um, Because if we just do the big sweeping changes once every 18 months or whatever it is, um, we're going to come back to this point of burnout, of tired, of exhaustion, depletion. And so I love that in your life, these look really practical and really attainable. Like I thought about all of those. I was like, I could do that. You know, like I could do that too. And so if we just attune to ourselves, pay attention to what we need and fill it proactively, not just when you're in moments of complete deficit, because I love that you, when Mackenzie asked you like how you're doing this, you didn't just say, well, here's the one that I'm lacking in here's the one that I have a deficit in here's how I'm filling that one you said like here's how I'm filling all of them um because I bet in different seasons you have deficit in different areas and so when you can kind of proactively work towards replenishing and refilling those right now then it can help you um, feel more grounded and stabilized to be able to fill that cup whenever it does deplete yes absolutely and you know the thing is if you the ones I shared they all have different times that they're popping up. Like I'm not on a plane every day. I, I fly quite a bit, but I'm not on a plane every day. But I know that that's one of the, that on that situation, sensory is what gets depleted. Yeah. So identify the situations. Like I said, put, put your activities down. Figure out what you're depleting in your different activities. You're not depleting all seven at the same time. There's usually one, maybe two that are getting depleted during different activities. Just make sure you pour back into that bucket after that activity. Hmm. Well, this is so good and so practical. And I am just so grateful that you sat down with us today. Is there anything else that you would like to kind of leave us with as we as we round out this conversation? Yeah, you know, I would just finish with these words. You're you're only as healthy as you are well rested. If you I don't care whatever aspects of your life you're pouring into your health, you can be working out every day, you can be eating great, you can be sleeping nine hours a day. If you're not attending to your own rest deficit needs, you're still not going to be the best version of yourself. So include rest as part of your wellness strategy. Thank you, Dr. Sandra. Thanks for listening to the Living Center podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. It only takes a few seconds to navigate to the show in your app and select the stars to begin your rating. It helps more people find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. 